Would you turn to the 76th Psalm, Psalm 76. In Judah is God known. His name is great in Israel. In Salem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. There break he the arrows of the bow, the shield, the sword, and the battle. Thou art more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted are spoiled. They have slept their sleep. And none of the men of might have found their hands. At thy rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and horse are cast into a dead sleep. Thou, even thou, art to be feared. And who may stand in thy sight when once thou art angry? Thou didst cause judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still. When God arose to judgment to save all the meek of the earth, Selah, surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. Vow and pay unto the Lord your God. Let all that be round about him bring presents unto him that ought to be feared. He shall cut off the spirit of princes. He is terrible to the kings of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, how glorious, how majestic, how awesome, how other is thy person. And we, through thy Son, bow before thee and praise thy holy name. Lord, we ask that you would take your word and bless it to our hearts and enable us to worship thee, the living God, and thy Son, the Lord Jesus, by the power of your Spirit. Lord, we confess our sins. We pray for forgiveness and cleansing. We pray that we might be found in him. And Lord, wherever your gospel is preached, we pray for your blessing. We pray that you would raise up a people to praise your name, to believe your gospel. We wait on you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Verse 3, there he break the arrows of the bow and the shield and the sword and the battle. Now this apparently was um, a psalm composed after the Lord had given them some kind of victory over their enemies. And one of the things, one of the many things I love with regard to the scripture, both the victories 
and the defeats, both the victories and the defeats are always ascribed to God. Remember that in your own experience. Both the victories and the defeats are always ascribed to God. Now he says in verse 1, in Judah is God known. This is the same knowledge of which Paul said, I know whom I have believed. In Judah, God is known. Every believer knows the living God. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Now, this is not simply knowing facts regarding God or about God. This is actually knowing the living God. In Judah. Not anywhere else. Only in Judah. And I, who, did, who did Christ come from? Judah. In Judah. In the Lord Jesus Christ. God is known. And if you know God. And I'm not talking about uh, just a knowledge of presumption. I'm talking about knowing the living God. If you know the living God, it's because he himself has revealed himself to you. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. Israel, is that talking about national Israel? Well, I suppose on some levels it is, but that's talking about the true Israel of God. Every believer, every believer makes up Israel. And in Israel, his name, his attributes are great. Um, the name of God is the person behind the name that represents his attributes, his holiness, his sovereignty, his justice, his omnipotence, all these glorious attributes. They're great in Israel. In Salem also is his tabernacle. Now that's a shortened name for Jerusalem. It's found that way several times in the scripture. This is referring to Jerusalem, and that is where his tabernacle was. Now, I love to think of the tabernacle. Uh, it represents the Lord Jesus Christ. There were seven pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. And what was the first piece of, I guess, uh, furniture is not the right word, but it's the altar. The brazen altar for sacrifice. The only way you could come into the tabernacle is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the next piece of furniture, if you want to call it that, or the paraphernalia, was the laver that had water in it. In order to enter into the tabernacle, you had to go first through the um, brazen altar, the blood, and then there was that water. And most people think, well, you get justified by the blood of Christ, and then you wash yourself up, sanctified by washing yourself in water. And that's such a horrible view of that labor. That labor is what tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses. That's what the scripture says. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanseth us. Cleanseth us from all sin. Then you go into the, the holy place, you have the altar of incense. Christ, my um, 
intercessor. You have the candlesticks, Christ my light. That's the light of how God can have anything to do with me. We have the table of showbread, Christ my necessary food. The ark, Christ my covenant, my way of salvation with the blood, the mercy seat over it, the seat of propitiation. In Salem is the tabernacle, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his dwelling place is in Zion. That's talking about the church, his dwelling place. If I'm in the church, I'm the dwelling place of God. God lives within me right now. What a glorious thing. Verse 3, there break he the arrows of the bow, the shield and the sword, and the battle. These are the weapons that were used against them, and they were no match for the living God. He shattered them. And in this psalm, Asaph is celebrating this great victory. Now look at verse 4. Thou art more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. Now there are two different meanings given to the mountains of prey. One, mountains that support wild animals. Wild animals that, uh, that look for their prey. There's big majestic animals. He looks at these animals on the mountain and he says, you're more glorious than they are. Well, that's true. But there's another reading of this that it says, you are more glorious than the everlasting mountains. Well, whatever it is, he's more glorious. I have a tendency to think it would be the everlasting mountains, but whatever it is, he is more glorious, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. And glorious has to do with light. Light. And I love that scripture that says he covers himself with light. He is so glorious that light would be a covering to him. He doesn't cover himself with darkness. He covers himself with light. This speaks of his glory. Oh, he's so altogether other. That's the word. Other. There's none like him. There's none that can be compared with him. He's more glorious than the mountains of prey. Verse 5. The stout-hearted those who are opposed to him, the people who rise up against Israel, the stout-hearted are spoiled. They have slept their sleep. This is speaking of the sleep of death. And none of the men of might have found their hands, these men who intended horrible things against us. Lord didn't let it come to pass. None of the men of might have found their hands. Verse 6, at thy rebuke, O God of Jacob, now, don't miss that, the God of Jacob. Remember when God said, Jacob, have I loved? Esau, have I hated? And the title God gives to himself more than any other title is the God of Jacob. Listen to this scripture. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 says, I am the Lord, I change not. Now, how often do you change? He never changes. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob, 
are not consumed. Oh, what a name for our God, the God of Jacob. At thy rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and horse are cast into the dead sleep. And that's a reference to what happened when the Red Sea was parted. When the same children of Israel passed through the Red Sea. When the Egyptians attempted to do what happened, the sea came back down on them. And they're cast into this dead sleep. Verse 7. Thou, even thou, art to be feared. Now, Lord willing, when we go out, that's what I want to try to preach on this morning, where Jacob I mean, uh, Joseph said, I fear God. I want to try to deal with what the fear of God is. It's a reverence. It's an awe. It's a respect. It's a bowing in my heart before who he is. The fear of God is the worship of God. It is only the believer that has the fear of God. The fear of God is not found in the heart of the natural man. Paul said there's no fear of God before their eyes. But the believer fears God. Now this is not the fear of mistrust. This is not the fear of loss. This is not the fear of bad things happening to me. It's in my heart respecting, bowing in awe and fear and reverence the God of glory. I love what David said in Psalm 19, the fear of the Lord is clean. Oh, how clean it is. Enduring forever. Someone that has the fear of the Lord will eternally have the fear of the Lord. It'll go on in heaven. And there it'll be more realized and understood. Verse 7, thou even thou art to be feared who may stand in thy sight when once thou art angry? Nobody can. He's all powerful. Verse 8. Thou didst cause judgment to be heard from heaven. God is a God of judgment. Abraham understood this when he said, Shall not the judge of the earth do right? Anybody who knows him knows he's a God of absolute justice. And that is seen most clearly in the cross. In and of myself, and the same is true of you, we're sinners. How can a holy, just God accept me and still be just? The great manifestation of that is the cross when my sin, Christ bore it. God punished my sin in his son. It became his sin and his righteousness becomes mine. What is more just than the cross? I mean, we, we tremble at the glorious justice of the cross. It's so altogether glorious. Thou didst cause judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still. And I think this is a reference to what took place on the cross. I mean, even in the physical earth did things. The sun quit shining. There was quaking and then there was the stopping of quaking and so on the earth filled the whole creation. Now here's the, well, no, verse, 10, verse 9. When God arose to judgment to save all the meek of the earth. When God arose to judgment to save all the meek of the earth. Now when I see that word 
God arose to judgment, what do you think of? You think the resurrection, don't you? And that is how he saved all the meek of the earth. His resurrection. He put sin away. He was raised because God was satisfied with what he did. And he saved all the meek of the earth. And I love the way he doesn't say simply he saved the meek of the earth. I'd be thankful if he said that. The meek is the lowly, the poor. It describes every believer. But he saved all the meek of the earth. Now let me remind you. There will be nobody in hell that God loved or that Christ died for. Amen? He's incapable of failure. And he arises, he arose to save all the meek of the earth. Now here's the the verse I wanted to kind of focus on. Verse 10. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee and the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain now the wrath of man the evil intentions of man his anger against God now I realize people are not angry with the God that's preached in human religion because there's nothing to fear about him They don't get mad because they don't hear of a sovereign God. They think they control this God. They think, well, he's going to have to respond to me. I'll I'll be saved whenever I want to, and he'll save me whenever I decide to let him save me. Nobody's afraid of that God. But that's a non-existent God. The God of the Bible is so clearly described in this 76th Psalm. And the response of man to this God is wrath. I don't like this God. I don't like a God that I can't control. I don't like a God that I can't manipulate. I I like a God that I can control, manipulate, and get him to respond to me. But an absolutely sovereign, holy God who owes me nothing, I don't like that God. And it produces wrath. But what does the scripture say? The wrath of man shall praise thee. Now, how is that? Well, let's go back to the cross for just a moment. Those men said in utter contempt, Hail, King of the Jews, bowing before him in a mocking way, making fun of him. Does the wrath of man praise him? He truly is the king of the Jews. What a glorious ascription of praise to him. He's the true king of the Jews. Remember what they wrote above his head? Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And when men said this in wrath, mocking him, Oh, they didn't know it, but they were praising his holy name. God was using what they said to bring glory to himself. One of the ways they um, made fun of him, they said he saved others. Himself he can't save. And they were making fun of him. If there was anything to him, he'd come down from the cross. 
He saved others. Himself he cannot save. For me or you to be saved, he could not save himself. What a glorious statement made with regarding to his salvation. For him to save me, he had to drink the contents of that cup. He had to go to the cross. He had to bear the wrath of God and put it away. Now, he could have come here and lived and obeyed God's holy law and went back to heaven. And what good would that have done me or you? Absolutely none. He had to die on Calvary's tree for somebody else to be saved. He could not save himself. And child of God, he did this willingly for you, for me. You remember when they struck him in the face and said, prophesy thou Christ who struck thee. Prophesy. Which one of us did it? Prophesy thou Christ who struck thee in utter contempt. But I think of that scripture. They didn't realize what they were saying, but we know who smote him. Awake, O sword, smite the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. It was the Lord that smote him. Uh, He was no victim. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. I think of that um, horrible statement made by the people around the cross. His blood be upon us and our children. We take full responsibility for the crucifixion of this wicked man, is what they were saying. While we want our children to be charged with it. This is how bad we hate him. We're very fine with our kids being uh, held responsible for his death. That'll be a feather in their cap. That'll speak well of them. What is our prayer? Oh, his blood be upon us. And his blood be upon our children. That's our one desire, that his blood would be upon us, that I might have my sins washed away by his blood and that I might be made clean. And that's what I desire for my children, for everybody I love. His blood be upon us. That's our prayer. They didn't mean it that way, did they? But oh, is there a better prayer than that? His blood be upon us and upon our children. I I like to think about um, their... When the Pharisees, you can read about this in Matthew chapter 27, they said, this deceiver said when he was alive, he'd raised from the dead three days later. Now you put a a stone over his uh, uh, grave and you have uh, watchmen there and guards there to make sure it doesn't have it. This deceiver. Well, thou shalt send them strong delusion." that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They called him a deceiver in a wicked way. 
They were deceived, weren't they? And the scripture says, the Lord shall send them strong delusion. Now, when um, my marginal reference says that this refers to Exodus chapter 9, when uh, God said to Pharaoh, now listen to these words, Pharaoh, he's the one who said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? This one who thought he had such power, God says to Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised you up. That I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Pharaoh, this enemy of God, God raised him up. That God might show his power and his authority in him. And that God's name might be declared throughout all the earth. The wrath of man shall praise thee. See what that means? The wrath of man shall praise thee. And the remainder of wrath thou shalt restrain. You know what that means? Men never get to do what they want to do. God restrains it. Oh, they have their evil purposes, their evil intentions. Um, don't think that men are without, these men that God raises up, they're wicked. They would, they would, I'm wicked by nature. And if it were in our power, in these men's power, they'd put God out of business. But God's not going to let it happen. The remainder of wrath thou shalt restrain. This is who God is. And you know, here's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. A believer likes it this way. They love it this way. They fear this God. They respect, they reverence this God. An unbeliever has no love for this God. But this is the God of the Bible. The wrath of man shall praise thee, and the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. Now, verse 11. Vow and pay unto the Lord your God. Does that mean, Lord, I promise I'll never do that again. Well, you ought not ever do it again. Agreed? Whatever it is. But you making a vow and saying, I promise I'll never do that again. Is that what that's talking about? I hope you know better than that. Well, what is this vow and this payment? What could you pay God? Well, turn to Psalm 50. This is what this means. Offer unto God, verse 14. Psalm 50, verse 14. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the most high and this is not talking about a monetary payment you offer him thanksgiving you're not going to offer him your works you look to Christ but you'll offer him thanksgiving and you know even that thanksgiving is only accepted through the Lord Jesus Christ you wouldn't even want your thanksgiving to appear before God apart from Christ, would you? Only, but here's all I got, thanksgiving. You know, when you, I, I think of a marriage vow. You promise to be true to that person. 
When you vow to God, you, you ask, Lord, give me the grace to look only to your covenant, to your son, to your grace. Let me look nowhere else. Now, you vow to God in the sense of pay your thanksgiving. Your homage is ascribing all glory to him. Vow and pay unto the Lord your God. Let all that be round about him be, bring presents unto him. Gifts of homage that ought to be feared. Now remember, this, this is who God is. He's the one to be feared. The fear of reverence. The fear of awe. The fear of respect. He shall cut off the spirit of princes. He is terrible to the kings of the earth. Now, this is another way of saying God resists the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. Everyone that exalts himself, what does the scripture say? Shall be abased. And I love that scripture in uh, Daniel where it says, Them that walk in pride. He knoweth how to abase. <laughs> he does. Everyone that exalts himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself. Humbles himself under the mighty hand of God. The God of Jacob. The God who is to be feared. The God who is altogether glorious. Everyone that humbles himself shall be exalted. That's the promise of the God of glory.